if you want to be the best leader you can be, if you want to be successful in civilian population and in the military population, sit back, shut up, and listen. That's Dr. Chris Justino, and he joins us today on the Kami's to Khakis podcast to discuss leadership after the military. He is a U.S. Army veteran and author of the book, The Perils of Toxic Leadership. Hello and welcome to the Kami's Khakis podcast. I'm host and creator Bob Howard, corporate recruiter and Marine Corps veteran. I created this podcast specifically for veterans and transitioning service members to help with their journey out of the military and into civilian careers. All of our episodes are packed with essential knowledge from industry experts and veterans like you. Hey Chris, thanks for joining us today on the Kami's Khakis podcast. Hey Bob, how are you? Doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm uh, excited to be here. I do want to say that I, I listened to your last one. Um, and the Marine, I believe he was the Marine that you had on, uh, must have been a, a great leader. You could hear it like through his voice. And But when he, he said the kids of 21, 22, 23 years old, just the way he said it, it sounded like he was like a proud dad. So, you know, if he hears this, kudos to him. I, I appreciated that to, to listen to that. Yeah, Sonny was a great Marine. Met him out on recruiting duty. And he was really one of the first Marines that I worked with a lot while I was out there. Now, he'd been on recruiting duty for a couple of years already, and he really knew the ropes. And he really helped me out with understanding what I needed to do to be successful out on the streets. And I would even say that I attribute a lot of my early success to his help. He really put in the hours, helped me with strategy, and made sure that I was successful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I appreciate the, the episode itself, so kudos to you as well. Thank you. Really appreciate that. So jumping into why we have you on today, you are a doctor of psychology, more specifically in IO psychology or industrial organizational psychology. In a previous conversation that we had, you'd mentioned that you focused a lot on leadership, and that's really why I wanted to bring you on here today. I think a lot of our veteran listeners can benefit from understanding how the leadership skills that they learned in the military can transfer into the civilian world. Now, it's not a direct transfer, so I want to make sure that we're able to address how to mold those skills to fit within the civilian world. But before we get too deep into that, would really like to hear a little bit about your personal transition story out of the military. And also, what led you to pursue a PsyD and focusing your dissertation on leadership? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, for as long as I can remember, and it sounds ridiculous, uh, I had a weird obsession with toxic world leaders. Um, and it started at, I think, 11 or 12. Um, my uncle gave me a chapter book um, that wasn't Harry Potter or school-driven. So it was basically my first chapter book. And it was written by Jim Cramer, uh, the talking head on MS or, uh, CNBC. You know, he's got the, the buttons and, and he yells at people to buy and sell. Oh, yeah. Definitely recognize that guy. Yep. Yep. So it, it's hard not to. He's, he's wild. Um, but he was a true money manager uh, back in the 80s and 90s. And I remember being inundated and fixated on, on two main points in, of his book. Um, one, Kramer lost something like a third of his client's money during, uh, t during Black Monday. Um, I believe it was Black Monday. And then two, um, the management he spoke about and he brushed over the management, um, but they used to be basically piranhas. And and at 11 years old, reading this book, you know, it it, it just triggered me. 
fast forward, um, you know, my, I started working in finance right before the crash of 08 at a company uh, that was packaging mortgage-backed securities. And, you know, I followed the money. It was huge money. Um, but the, the side hustle, or, the, or excuse me, the side issue was the miserable bosses. You know, I remember my second day there, I saw this boss throw a phone book at one of the junior brokers just at his face. And then called him, you know, a useless piece of shit, for lack of a better term. And and that was that was tough. And while I was doing that, you know, I was also working in North Jersey restaurants, specifically pizzerias, and similar similar thing. It drove in huge cash, which the owners and the bosses would usually lose at that night's poker game. Um, and I would work those poker games, and then the bosses would be yelling and screaming at at everyone they saw during their work shift. And it was just a nightmare. I mean, you'd go in the back of the kitchen and a chef would throw their knives, you know, and, you know, it, a caveat, you know, these, I do have one restaurant boss who was a, a, a nightmare to work with. Um, but, you know, he, he was like a father to me back then. And I, and I still remember him very fondly, but he was, a, he was terrible to everyone else. So anyway, as the 08 crash happened, I decided that I was going to cleanse myself and join the army. And I went through the three months of basic training and the, the six months of AIT, came home to a unit that was basically deploying right away. Um, and I was basically on orders from, from the time I came home in 2008 to 2011. And then during this deployment, it, coincidentally enough, we had a, a, a very senior leader who was basically the worst of every finance and restaurant leader I worked with. And he was so bad that they forced him to resign mid-deployment and he was redeployed. And, and looking back on it now, it was, uh, it was clearly the universe nudging me into what would later become my doctorate of psychology in organizational psychology, focusing on toxic leadership and workplace culture. But back then, it felt like that was all we had, and it was just reliving a nightmare every day you'd wake up to, to hell, you know, Not, let alone you're actually at war in actual hell, you know. So that's kind of what got me there, where I am. Yeah, you know, I think that's something that a lot of our listeners can relate to. You know, no doubt that a lot of our veteran listeners out there have deployed. I've deployed myself. And I've definitely seen instances where leaders have made just absolutely outrageous decisions or they're treating their subordinates like garbage. And it's truly a sad and infuriating thing, right? Because when you're deployed, you're away from your family, you're away from loved ones. And the guys that are around you, they're all you have. So to be treated like that by someone who you're hoping has your back can really piss you off. I think you nailed it. We are all we have out here, you know, and some con sometimes you're in a cop, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Logar or, or Kunar province, or maybe you're, you're in Iraq and, and you literally are all you have out there. There's 30 of you and you're, if, if one, one person's bad, the whole camp feels it. But if that person is a, is a leader, it's a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like they say a teaspoon of oil can destroy an entire supply of water, right? Having that one really negative person or negative influence on a unit can really bring everybody down. And that negativity can spread like a cancer, let alone having that person as a leader. Well, then you just feel screwed overall. 100%. So when you're looking at these substandard leaders coming out of the military, you begin to wonder how that happened. Because the military is known for churning out a lot of great leaders. You know, one of our presidents, Dwight D. Eisenhower, military general, then you have General Patton, General Puller, just to name a few. How about your Marine Corps? God? You know, he was a phenomenal leader. Is a uh, General? Uh, uh, my God, I can't believe I'm blanking out. You guys have pictures of him in your house. <laughs> oh, you mean General Mattis? Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis. 
See, I think that makes my point that you and I are having no problem identifying great military leadership. So my question here is what leadership skills, traits, abilities should our listeners be taking out of the military and into the civilian world? I would say there's four main ones. So confidence is probably the most important trait that I took away from the military personally, um, also known as command presence. And I think we confuse command presence with being loud, obnoxious, and yelling to get your point across. But real confidence doesn't, doesn't drive that. Real confidence just speaks like a normal individual, respectfully to everyone, no matter who it is. Um, you know, and, and watching a one or two star general speak to a private and, and not, you know, belittling him or talking down to him like like sometimes happens, but talking to them as if they were and also a general is is an incredible thing. And that does take confidence. And then finally, charisma, um, analytical mindset. I think our best leaders are the ones who think the most. Um, about everything, whether it's thinking about what they could do better, thinking about what the, 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 the troops or what they can do better, um, or the best way to go from point A to point Z. Um, and then finally, and this is easily the most important, and, and this will reverberate throughout the, the rest of the conversation, is uh, empathy or emotional intelligence, both. And I have to say that I've mainly found those, those traits in the female leaders in the military um, but there are several men who who truly lead that way. Um, and I mean, I can name them off the top of my head, you know, and and understanding, I think, and this is another thing, understanding that the most important people in the formation or in your organization are the workers, not the leader, not the middle management, not the upper management, the workers, the enlisted and the junior NCOs of the enlisted, and finally the E7, those three groups of people are easily the most important people in your formation. And that absolutely correlates to a normal entity or, or a private entity where there's, you know, uh, the workers, and then there's like supervisors. Um, and then finally, the, the, the initial manager, that's what makes the organization go and military teaches that the best. 100% agree with you on that. You know, I think that the military does a really good job about teaching how to take care of the troops. I think, you know, one of the big things in the Marine Corps is troop welfare. You know, it's right after mission accomplishment, which I think is huge. One thing I didn't hear a lot in the Marine Corps, though, is speaking about emotional intelligence, or EQ. Now, that's something that I've certainly heard in my work and school since being in the civilian world. Emotional intelligence definitely takes the forefront. So how do you suggest that those transitioning harness those powers of EQ to better those around them and themselves? So this is something that we kind of talk about, and this sounds ridiculous, but in the academic community and even in, in higher level leader training, they, they talk about this at the war college. You know, how do we teach people emotional intelligence, those soft skills? And it's really hard to. They have to go out and first of all, they have to want to. They have to see everyone in front of them, whoever's in front of them, it doesn't matter, as if they're seeing a reflection of themselves. But you should see everyone and treat everyone the same way, whether it's the CEO or the individual who just got hired to 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 answer phones, or if it's the you know EV or the private first class PFC to the gunnery sergeant to the general. Everyone has something of value to say and to to be, and so if you want to expand on your emotional intelligence, specifically for leadership, but even in general in any relationship. You have to see the individual you're talking to or the individual you want to be respected by 
as 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 a like individual as as they bring something to the table and once you do that then you have to learn how to listen to what they say might be right or wrong it's irrelevant listening is is more important than directing you know what's right and wrong and so that's how i would do it that's how i would portray the best way forward on expanding eq Again, some great points there, and I'd like to take a few of those just a step further and really get your perspective on what the difference is between a manager and a leader, because that those terms can get convoluted sometimes, and it, just because you're a manager doesn't mean you're a leader. So how would you best describe those and differentiate those? Right. A manager usually has a task to accomplish, and a manager has the appropriate responsibility and the the appropriate level of um, decision making where they can they can get that task accomplished a leader is anyone a leader can be the most junior individual on the team to you know a middle manager it's irrelevant if you're a leader people follow you almost naturally and it seems like it's natural it seems like people just fall in line and and you know you you take the reins and people just follow you or or try to help you in some form but it's really not natural. What it is, is you harnessing emotional intelligence and the, the, the four traits we talked about before, or the three other traits we talked about before, the confidence, charisma, and, and being analytical, understanding the problem. You might not have the solution ready, but if you understand the problem, portray the emotional intelligence, anyone's going to follow you if you have the confidence. And so, it, again, it could be anyone. Um, and that's the main difference. And managers are leaders. They could be bad leaders, they could be good leaders, but they're dictated by someone higher. They are the leader of this section. Thanks for making that distinction very clear for us. You know, I think that a leader isn't always dictated by the position they're put in. It's really how they treat others and how they're able to garner support from those around them, take care of those who are under them, and accomplish their mission. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The ability to do what's in the best interest of the group and yeah, of course, you need to garner support to be to be an effective leader. You know, some great leaders are able to sit back and let other people take the reins when when they're the expert. L being able to listen to subject matter experts and let them run with their field or with their knowledge is is important. And a lot of toxic leaders or most toxic leaders are unable to do that through many toxic traits. Um, and that's that's kind of it. I really like that you brought up toxic leadership in that response. While in the military, we are subjected to a lot of different types of leadership styles, and they're not always the best. And sometimes those traits or characteristics, habits of leadership can follow us into the civilian world, which are not always a good thing. So would love to get your thoughts on what leadership traits that you think transitioning service members should be aware of when going into the civilian world. So I would say this, having a command presence is a double-edged sword if you don't know how to use it. You know, a lot of leaders come out and they are hard charging and then this is what we're doing and we're going forward. And in the military, in some ways, they were able to do so because the leadership above them might not be there in a physical presence or might have might trust them to do their specific job in the civilian world especially as you are new to come out of it and go to go from you know working in, in a dictated entity like the military and going to a more subjective world uh, the civilian population um and having you know that <laughs> that hard charging that 
command presence attitude of going forward no matter what the no matter what the the you know the battlefield looks like that could be detrimental and that scares civilians that scares civilian leadership um and so sometimes what i've seen and this is just solely in my experience civilian leaders who've only only ever been civilian leaders love the idea of confident military leader but they are wary of the confident military leader just going for it and not having the experience and the and the mindset to back it up running operations in wartime theater or preparing for wartime theater operations is vastly different than having a team trying to build an application or having a team trying to work together on a, you know a cook line um, or, or any of that. And I sometimes think that that hard charging attitude, the same trait that I, I mentioned when we were talking about best leadership traits that take away from the military can also be harmful. I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. I think you tend to see that those prior military leaders come in and try to lead like they're still in the military. And I think that's something that really turns off civilian counterparts because it's just something they're not used to. It almost turns into a balancing act for the veteran to figure out what that right balance is of leadership style that both works for them and their environment. So how would you suggest that those transitioning service members find that balance? Sit back and learn. And and that is for everyone, whether you are an experienced leader coming out of the military, a non-experienced leader coming out of the military, whether you've only had civilian education, it doesn't matter. Sit back and listen, because I promise you, you don't know all of the answers. It doesn't matter how much education you have or how much experience you have. Um, and someone on your team is going to know more than about something than you do. If you want to be the best leader you can be, if you want to be successful in the civilian population and in the military population, sit back, shut up, and listen and watch your team let them grow let them show you what they can do on their own without your you know your your movement without your your force and i think many teams would surprise you and that you'd be better for it and that team will automatically have your respect absolutely and i think that's a universal thing where you have someone fresh coming in who comes in doesn't really know a lot but acts like they do i think you automatically lose a lot of those respect points with those who you're trying to lead and I would even liken this to having a brand new officer fresh out of OCS come into a unit where they're the authority figure, they're the officer, yet they're probably unseasoned, they don't know a lot, and you have a lot more leadership in your NCOs who had the actual Marine Corps experience. Right. And I know for me, in my personal transition out of the military, after about 12 years, I was hitting the civilian workforce at 30, and it almost felt like I was starting over in my career. I remember my first job that there are people in their mid to late 20s that were in leadership positions because they had either gone into work straight out of high school, if they were lucky enough to get in the company early, or right after college. So I think for me, and possibly a lot of other vets, it was a tough pill to swallow to feel like I'm starting over at the bottom of the barrel again. Mm -hmm. That too, yep. So how would you suggest level setting those expectations while they transition into the civilian workforce without selling themselves short? So it's it's kind of the, the same principle that we were we were just discussing. And I would even expand it. Yes, the, the new second lieutenant coming out of OCS, you know, look, I have not met many 
who were just taking the reins from the E6 or the E7. You know, I know that that happens, and I know we talk about it like it happens on an on a, on a daily basis, and I'm sure it does somewhere. But for the most part, they're petrified of their E6 or E7, in my experience. That said, that E6 and E7 who's been doing that job for 15 years or 20 years in some cases, and has only done that military operational specialty or that job or the MOS, they too can sit back, shut up, and listen. You know, experience is important, education's important, and combined, it makes for a really holistic individual and, and leader. But again, if you've done something for 30 years, you know everything about it, but you don't. And also, you've been looking at it more than likely from the same perspective and view that you've been looking at it since day one. So the new individual coming in who has a different perspective or the ability to have a different or altered view might see something that you miss even after 30 years of knowing and so once again let your people speak listen to them and they might surprise you with what they come up with there might be a better answer it might be more efficient it might be cheaper to to conduct or it might not be it might be a complete disaster but the same principle goes from someone who who's just coming out someone who doesn't want to degrade themselves but also wants to make you know wants to make an impression all you have to do as a leader, shut up and listen and have kind of a democratic presence to it. Yeah, I'm sure that could be very challenging, especially for that example of the individual being in the position for 30 years. You know, they've been doing it for 30 years, probably doing it the same way. So they have this certain air about them where they think they know everything about that particular skill until someone comes around, particularly someone new, and shows them a different way and maybe a more efficient way. So that could be particularly challenging. Uh, what are some other challenges that military will come across when transitioning into the civilian workforce, particularly in the area of leadership? And how can they overcome those challenges? So I think it's, it's unfortunate, but there's still a significant stigma around post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, there's stigmas around anxiety issues that stem from PTSD or stem from you know, non-PTSD that, that from everyday life of having to wake up at five in the morning and, you know, and, and get to formation and, and just be dictated almost your life every day. And, and there's still stigma around um, TBI. And because with TBI can be verbal issues, memory loss. I mean, I've had a traumatic brain injury and you can feel the difference. And those stigmas really hurt veterans and really hurt people coming out of the military in general. Um, and it, there's also the stigma of, you know, being undereducated, and that's something hard to shake. You know, um, maybe it might mean that you strive to get your master's or your your doctorate, um, but people see the military, you know, like it, like like before Vietnam. You know, just everybody everybody's undereducated can get in and, and get ahead and then move out. Um, and our military is not, um, even if you haven't had the traditional education. Yeah, you know, we're a very learning focused organization and that, or we were, I'm not in the military anymore, but we were, and we, st and I'm sure they still are. I'm sure it's being pushed through. So that under education is not real, um, for the, for most part. And, uh, and it, and it hurts every military member, especially if you're going up against Ivy League graduates. Yeah. I think you hit that point right on the head. I think stigmas are one of the worst things that our veterans come across when they're transitioned to the civilian world. 
And unfortunately, just the way it's been portrayed in movies, in the media, that people think that every veteran coming out of the military has PTSD or has depression, has anxiety. You know, I think it's one of those things where you get that veteran in the workplace and people think, oh, he was in the Marine Corps. He must have killed people or something. So these stigmas just stick around and really hinder the veterans' transition into the civilian workplace. So what would you say are some ways that veterans can overcome these stigmas in the workplace? And is the onus only on the veteran? Do the civilians have some ownership in understanding how to work with veterans? I would argue that it's 100% on civilian counterparts. That is on them to fix. However, that's not how the real world works. You know, even me, like I have a bachelor's, I have an MBA, I have a doctorate in psychology, you know, and, and most of my military time has been, has been you know, part-time, barely part-time, if you want to call it that. Um, and, but I come out and I still have five and a half years of deployments between the military and, and my, my contractor life, you know, when I was, when I was contracting out, out, out overseas. And what I do is I hit that nail on the head immediately. Once you start talking about my military background, I tell you where I've been and what I've done. I tell you where I've been, what I've done to the extent that I can. And I want people to know where, I, where I've been. I want them to know, you know who I was with for the most part. You know, I have to be general for most of the time. Um, and I want them to know that I'm not that person and I've never been that person. And the person I'm talking about is the person who you think I'm supposed to be as a combat veteran. Um, and I'm not. Whatever you have in your brain is not real. You know, and, and that, that goes for everyone. That goes for just in general. What you have or what how you perceive me because you see it on my resume is not real. So I take that narrative back. Be that confident individual. Tell them who you are. Tell them what you know you've done and what your expectations are going forward. Tell them how when you transition what what you're bringing to the table from your military time, from your deployment time and what you're going to provide them as a former military individual going to the private sector. Yeah, I think that's a good move, taking the head-on approach. Having that open dialogue with your civilian counterparts is a great way to get those misconceptions out of the way and show them that's not who you are. Show them that that's just the movies, that's the media, and this is who I am, this is who they'll be working with. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're willing to be that open with them, and that's vulnerability. I don't care who you say it and how and how you want to present it. It's vulnerability showing them, like, you know, some of the darker side of you. Um, and if they want to be the, the individual who, you know, automatically uses the stigma against that vulnerability, that's on them. And you don't want to work for that organization anyway. Definitely appreciate you bringing up vulnerability because I feel like that is a big part of leadership. So when you're bringing that leadership into the civilian sector, what styles or techniques do you believe are the best to bring over into the civilian world? So I believe that there's three top leadership styles, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, it's becoming so generic these days. Um, and of course, it, you know, it could go with civilians, it goes with the military very well. Um, you know, and those, those three styles are transformational, you know, leadership democratic leadership and of course what everyone the hot one these days is servant leadership 
And at the end of the day, all you're doing is is providing a backdrop for the people who are, are subordinate to you, the people who are on your same level or your peers, and the people who are above you a say. You're giving your people a say. You're making them essentially a stakeholder within your organization, no matter how large the team is. And and they have an equal say as much as you do. And yeah, sure, you might be the the final deal, deal breaker or you might be the final you know tally maker, the individual who says, okay, but we're actually going to do this and, go, and goes a different direction. But their say and your ability to listen to it and, and to and, you know, respect it is, is what makes you, you know, a good candidate for the three leadership styles we just said. Allowing your people to, to discuss their thoughts and feelings on the subject and utilizing that when it's appropriate. And finally, like we've been saying throughout this whole, this whole discussion, EQ, emotional intelligence. Look, you're not dealing with robots. You're not dealing with AI. You're dealing with individuals. And their home life absolutely affects how they produce and their output. Their home life absolutely affects how they work and how they intermingle with their peers and with their subordinates or with their, you know, the people above them. So that means that you have to be concerned about it. If that means that you have the power to be like, hey, you know what, you're, you, you must have had a rough night last night. I don't need to know everything. But why don't you just take the day, go home, you know, kind of, kind of figure it out or, you know, sympathy or just taking into account that we're not robots and, and we all feel, including the hardest of us. And I would argue the hardest of us are the ones who betray, you know, that most hard charging attitude that we were discussing are usually the ones who have the most emotions that have not been let out. And, uh, you know, it's up to us as leaders to use any one of those styles of leadership, transformational, democratic, or servant leadership with emotional intelligence forward. And, and when you do that, you really have the ability to grab the mindset, to grab the, the morale and lift the morale and, and, and go forward. All great points there. And I really like the leadership styles that you pointed out because I think it highlights how different leadership styles look. I think a lot of people have this idea that leadership looks like one thing, but as you peel back those different layers, you see that leadership takes many forms, and as long as you have your people in mind, then you're going to be a successful leader. As we wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? So there's nothing, I mean, we, we pretty much, you know, I think we, we did a, a pretty decent job of encompassing, you know, the main leadership points, you know, again, and, and this is, this has to be the biggest takeaway and I won't stop saying, it, and I'll say it until, you know, I'm, I'm long and gone. Um, emotional intelligence is the most important thing a leader can portray. You could be confident, which is great. You could be smart. You could be analytical. You could be charismatic, all those wonderful traits that I discussed. But if you're not emotionally intelligent, none of it matters. If you're not there, empathetic and, and you know, willing to go through the emotional roller coaster of life with your people, you know, you, you really have to consider whether being a leader is, you know, is important to you. Absolutely. And I'd really like to echo that point that if there's one thing that listeners could take away from this episode, it's about EQ or that emotional intelligence. EQ is such a powerful tool in your leadership toolbox that if you can master it, it can really set you apart. So again, really want to thank you for bringing up EQ into this leadership conversation. Absolutely. And, and I, like I said, I'll, you know, if I tattoo it on my forehead, if, if people will, will take that in consideration, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to say, and I'll kind of, I'll finish off with this. 
whether I'm voting, whether I'm, you know, helping choose a leader or, or promoting or teaching new leaders, the way I look at it is this, would I be willing to leave my children with this individual, you know? And if the answer is no, then we really have to consider, you know, is this person the best leader for our, whatever we're, we're building. Thanks for that final thought. And now as we get ready to wrap up the episode, you know, as noted in our intro, you are the author of The Perils of Toxic Leadership. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about that before we let you go. Yeah. So we we built a book based on my my published study of toxic leadership workplace culture. Um, and I I didn't really, you know, dumb down the study. I took out a few things and I kind of made things more sensical, more logical for, um, you know, anyone who... who who'd want to who prefer to read a book other, as opposed to a scientific study. But I still left the study facts in there. Um, and you'll, you'll open it and you'll read it and you'll see how I went from, you know, I, I've researched the toxic portion. I researched positive leadership um, and then how the study was built. I, and I wrote it in book format. So it's a little bit easier to read and kept the study in the back. So if you really want to go through the particulars, it's still there. Um, and at the end of the day, all it discusses is basically what we discussed. You know, I, I gave the five, what I would consider the five worst traits in toxic leadership. And those were built by Dr. Schmidt, 2008. And, um, and we, I went from there, I studied them and I looked at and saw how they interacted with each other and with several different workplace styles. Um, you know, and you could think of it as a hierarchical structure like the military or more of like a, a family structure, like a, like a, you know, mom and pop bakery or whatever you want to do. And, uh, and we looked for which traits were, were the worst. And uh, we wrote a book about it. And I think uh, people should, should read it who, who may be leading troops into battle one day or maybe leaving, maybe leading you know, individuals into the everyday workplace. Excellent. Well, we do appreciate your contributions to the study of leadership. And we appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. You've left our listeners with a lot of great information. And I hope that they're able to use this in the future. Excellent. Hey, I appreciate it, Bob. You have a great thing going and uh, good luck with it. It's, it's, it's necessary. Absolutely necessary. Join us on the next episode of Kami's to Khakis. Your skill sets, your giftings, and what you're passionate about. I think that that is a much better winning combination than trying to fit yourself into a, you know, as a square peg into a round hole at whatever company will take you. Oh, 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 oh,